0: Tell. Interesting words as last words of our Savior. Some of his final words on earth was a prayer, and the in the text of the prayer, the context of the prayer, the thrust of the prayer, is not that we would be smarter, work harder, be more successful be prettier, have central air and central heat. Not that we would necessarily all go to seminary or all go to engineering school or all become doctors, but that we as the church body, the organic body of Christ, would bring him glory and would reveal to the world his nature by the way that we are one. That the second person of the Godhead would go before the first person of the Godhead in the spirit of the third person of the Godhead. And this would be the conversation that he allows us to enter into as listeners of the dialogue that happens between the Father and the Son in his final days on earth. Lord, let them be one. Not just as the world sees one. But let them be one as modeled by our relationship. Let them be one like you and I are one. Because there's a reality, Lord. There's a reality, Father. That because they are in me and I am in you, you are in them and they are in us and we are one. Let's get some of the hard stuff out of the way quickly so it doesn't hang us up on the rest of the message. Being in unity does not mean being in uniformity. Being in unity does not mean being in uniformity. We see it even in the Trinity. The Father and the Son and the Spirit are one and yet three distinct persons. Each having their own economy within the role of the Trinity. Each having their own purposes in the Trinity. But each having the common purpose of the Trinity. Without any kind of disharmony or disunity in their ultimate purpose of their own glory. Each being equally eternal, equally powerful. Singular in their essence. And yet unique in their persons. And that is the reflection of the body of Christ that, or the reality that the body of Christ is to reflect. That yes, we're all different in many ways, and we all think differently and on different subjects, but we are all are to have the same mission and the same purpose. And to work together towards this purpose, which is the world to know who Jesus Christ is. And our energies, our efforts, our Industries are to be forced, are to be determined, are to be moving toward that one unified objective as the body of Christ with no other distractions. We were talking about this in Sunday school this morning that we, as we've moved further and further and further away from the cross, it becomes more and more evident that we are people of Babel that we are much more interested in building a place of comfort for ourselves than we are realizing that we're here on a mission, and this is not home. But we are heading home, and on our journey home, we have been given a mission by the King of the universe to be one together as His people so that the world would know that the Father has sent the Son. And nothing should distract us from that one mission. And we should at least be unified in that. Some of you know my fascination with boats. I like to think of the church as a boat. And many of us do, some of us think of the church as a cruise liner that it's a place where I'm supposed to relax on the deck and someone comes and serves me some cool drinks and brings me my sunscreen and, and if things don't go right then I get to complain about that if the engine fails I get to complain to the engineer if my room's messy I get to complain to the steward if the seas are rough I complain to the captain for taking us in the rough seas After all, it's all about my comfort. It's all about my journey. There are others that see the church as a battleship. We're a destroyer. We are meant to go out and fire all our guns, shoot as many as possible, and whoever survives, then they get to be one of us. And if there's collateral damage then so be it, because it was all for the glory of God. And after all, that's the most important thing. Others see the church as more of a barge, being pushed along by a few on a tugboat. I think the reality is this. Jesus tells us the church is more like a rowboat. It's a big one. And everybody has an oar. And he calls us to row in the same direction. Because if we don't, we will just fight against one another and go in circles at best. And no progress will ever be made. Can you imagine two people in a small dinghy, one rowing to the right and one rowing to the other right? Think about that. You'll get it. It's hard enough when you're alone in the dinghy to row straight in it. Imagine one other person on that oar trying to get in the same sink at the same time. And one person going, I want to go to that side of the lake. And the other saying, no, we're going to this side of the lake. How far would the boat ever get? Chances are you just get frustrated and shoot a hole in the bottom of it and let it sink. We laugh, but that's the truth. I know of a place in Alberta, Canada. There are two fences. They're two feet apart. They're in a field that go a half a mile long, two feet apart. Here's what happened. Farmer Peter decided that he wanted to build a fence. So he went to Oscar and he said, Oscar, let's build a fence on our property. Where our properties connect, let's build a fence there. So I can keep my cows on my side and you keep your cows on your side. And Oscar said, no, I don't really want to do that. So Peter went ahead and built his own fence. And he built it two feet on this side of his property. And Oscar was out one day and he saw the fence and he called up Peter and he said, I see you built the fence. And Peter said, yes, I did. And I want to tell you something. It's two feet on this side of my property. And if your cows come on that two feet, I'll shoot them. So guess what Oscar did? Oscar said, Well, I think he means it. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna build my own fence two feet on my side of the property. So that I can keep my cows on my side of the property. And so for a half a mile there are these two fences that are two feet apart. Four well, it said two in the in the story. I knew someone was gonna correct me on that. I'm building a fence. But you see the lunacy of that kind of division. It's the lunacy of two people rowing in the opposite direction. And Jesus prays for us to do something different. And he gives us a promise that if we will, if we will be unified in our direction, if we will be unified in the way that we are to go, then he promises us this, that we will see his glory. What does this word glory mean? It means wait. It's it's a word where we get the word weight from. My glory would be a pebble. God's glory would be Jupiter. If you can imagine a pebble hitting the water and Jupiter hitting the water, who gives the bigger splash? But Jesus says this. He says, "If, if we will be unified, then we will know and begin to experience his glory so that the day will come when we will see his glory. Look at the first thing he prays with me. Jesus prays that our eternal nature would be revealed to us. In verse 20 he says, Lord, I don't ask for just these only. Talking about the 11 but also for those who would believe through their word, so that they may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. Jesus is saying that the root of who you are at the very beginning of who you and I are is in God, and therefore God has eternally always thought of us for this day. That you are not here on this earth by accident. You're not here in this church today by your own sovereign will or choice. But that God has directed you to come today to hear the word. That he had you in his heart and his mind before one star was put into heaven. And that he knew the day would be here for you to hear this that you have always been in his heart and you have always been in his mind. He has always planned for your existence and he has planned for you to hear the message today that he loves you. And that he wants you to be so intrinsically united to him that his thoughts become your thoughts. His ways become your ways. That you and I begin to take on a new world view. Not a short-term view that is so temporal so captured in the flesh, but to have a long-term worldview that we are eternal and we are on an eternal mission and we will live forever. And this short period of time, the 60, 70, 80, 90 years that we have on this planet, planet is in no way indicative of the rest of eternity that we are with Jesus. And yet the way that we behave and respond and speak and talk to one another and interact with one another here and now on this planet within these 70 or 80 years that many of us have determine how the world will see the eternity. Jesus prays that you and I would understand this, that we are in Him and He is in us. And that must be our worldview. That when people encounter you and I, they don't encounter you and I only, but they are having a divine encounter with the one that lives within you and I. He knows this about you. Jesus is not confused about who you and I are. He knows this about us. He wants us to know it about ourselves. Father, I pray for them who come to You from the Word of these 11, how the Word of the Gospel would spread. I pray, God, for those millenniums from now that will sit in East Glenville Community Church and hear the Word. I'm praying for them right now that they would know that You are in them and I am in You and they are in Me. So that they may know we've always been together and we always will be together. Reveal to them, God, their very nature of who they are. That they are the image bearers of the Trinity. They are the communicators of celestial truth. That in everything that they do, everything that they say, the world is watching to see the revelation of who Yahweh is. They also may be in us, so that the world may believe you have sent me. Is that our message? When we go from these doors out here into the world, is the message so obvious to the world, this person knows the Lord? and is unified to his body, they must believe that Jesus sent them. Are you and I a help to people knowing the truth of the Scriptures, the truth and the reality of God, or are we a hindrance? Does our anger and our bitterness and our complaining and our rowing in our own circles the first thing that people see Or do they see a people at peace and with great joy knowing that the king has come and that the king reigns and the king is coming again and the king cares for them? What are we encouraging people to believe about God in the way that we respond? In the way that we talk about and to one another? I asked you this several months ago. It bears asking again. Do you have people on your heart or are they on your nerves? Because if they're on your nerves and they're not on your heart, then we are disunified. And if we are disunified, we are not reflecting the Trinity. And if we are not reflecting the Trinity, we are not fulfilling our purpose. And if we are not fulfilling our purpose, we are not reflecting the glory of God. These are not words from some pastor up in a pulpit. These are the words of Jesus, our King. Jesus prays, secondly, that we would know the purpose of our unity. Look at verse 22 with me again. That your glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. You see, what he's saying is, he wants them to see him. He wants the world to see him through us. Jesus prays for the purpose of our unity to be the revelation of who he is. What do you suppose outsiders see when they look into a church? Do they see a people excited, a people enthralled, a people that are so committed to expanding the kingdom of God that they are willing to submit one to another, to walk in unity, to love one another in spite of one another? To be so caught up and consumed with knowing their mission on earth is to share and to expand the kingdom of light and the kingdom of glory with the rest of the world. That they only have that one agenda and all of their energies are focused in that one direction. With all of their differences, with all of their unique gifts, with all their unique talents, with all their different clothes as we learned in the children's sermon today. That all of that comes together somehow in this glorious mosaic with one purpose to glorify God and to reveal Jesus to the world? Or do they see people trying to protect a religious club that's more interested in the inner workings of their roof than they are in the outer expansion of the kingdom? Where are you spending your energy? What's consternating you? What's, what's keeping you awake at night? What are you getting angry about? What are those things that are distracting you from the one purpose and the one mission that we all have? To obey the King and to follow Him and to show the world His glory. Whatever my time left with you, whatever that is, it is, but I want you to hear this. I will always be part of you and you will always be part of me. We were part of one another before we even knew one another. And we will be part of one another long after I'm gone. Because it's not just about this particular address. It's about the glory of the church of Jesus Christ. No matter where I go, no matter where on this planet that I'm at, I will know God's people. How will I know God's people? I will know God's people by the way they treat me like God. I will know that if they treat me with gentleness and kindness and self-control, if they bring me peace and they let their peace rest on me, then I know I'm amongst the people of God. And wherever I go, I will always have family. And don't you know, wherever I go, I will take you with me. We were together before I came. We'll be together after I leave. There's a much bigger story and a much bigger plan that's happening here in this church. It's the plan of the king of the universe unfolding his glory in the midst of us. And Jesus says that's what he wants us to be about. He wants our homes to be about revealing the glory in the way that husbands and wives are unified. He wants us us to know the world to know the glory in the way that we parent in unity with our children. He wants the world to know that we are unified with Him and therefore He is the reigning King. And He wants that to be your passion and my passion. He wants that to be the all-consuming passion that we have. That we would be one with Him and one in Him and reveal His oneness, His uniqueness to the rest of the world. Deuteronomy six, the great Shema Behold, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. How could he be three and yet one? Because that word one there is also translated as pure. That there is no disharmony, there's no distraction, there's no there's no defilement, there's no differences. In the overall essence of who God and His Trinity is, and that we are to be the same way, that the essence of who we are is the essence of the Trinitarian God. It's the prayer of Jesus that we would do that, that we would be that. So not only does he want our eternal nature to be revealed, but he also wanted his unity to be our unity to reveal him. But he also prays for the power of love in our lives. Look with me at 23 and 24. I in them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one. So that, here it is again, the world may know that you sent me. But now there's an addition. And love them even as you have loved me. The Greek translation of that is that you would love them just as you love me. Isn't that astonishing? Here you have your high priest continually praying for you. Before the Father, the second person of the Trinity, equally God, equally eternal, equally powerful. Going before the first person of the Trinity and saying, Lord, I pray that they would know that you love them just like you love me the same love that you have for me as your Son, your only begotten Son? The love that you said to me, well done, Son. This is my Son in who I am well pleased. That love, that pride is the same one that you look at them and love them with? Do you know before the the kingdoms and kings of the invisible principalities and before the kings of the earth and the people of the earth, the Lord God Almighty says this of you. This is my son. This is my daughter and who I am well pleased. Because Jesus The high priest died to bring that reality to be your reality and my reality. That God the Father loves you as He loves God the Son. Without damage, without distraction, without deformity, without disengagement, But in complete purity and singularity, God loves you like he loves Jesus. But not only that, he loves that person sitting right next to you the same way. He prayed that same prayer for the person that's sitting right next to you. You may find this hard to believe, but he even prayed that prayer for me. That our unity is found in that love that Jesus has for us in purchasing the Father's love for us. That all of us are equally humble before the cross, all of us are equally undeserving. Before the cross. And yet all of us are beneficiaries together in the cross. And since the Father loves us like Jesus, that changes everything. That's it. that change everything about the way we act the way we behave, the words that we say the things that we do, the people who we are let me give you just three ways when I am in belief, when I am surrendering, when I understand that the Father loves me like he loves Jesus, here's what it changes, it changes the way I see myself It changes the way I see me. It gives me the freedom to be me. And all that I am in him. Because it gives me the freedom of knowing I am in him and he is in me. And as the scriptures say, if he is for me, then who can be against me? The Scriptures go on to say in Romans that he who did not withhold his own son but gave him up, how will he not give all things to you? And yet we worry, don't we? I worry, I worry, I'll, I'll miss out on something. I'll worry, I'll lack. I'll worry somehow out there in the future. There won't be enough. Until God reminds me, you're mine. I'm in you and you're in me. There'll be more than enough. I would then withhold Jesus from you, Brad. How would I withhold anything else? What are you afraid of? What are you so distracted by? You are one with me and I with you. and you are one with those people that I have surrounded you with at this season in your life. You're not alone. You're together. It changes the way I see myself. But it also changes the way I see other believers and I see the church. It changes the way I see you and the way I see the church. You're no longer just a person. You're no longer even just a different person but you're my family. You're another person whom God has set his affections upon. I remember when I first came, there were several that came up to me and said, I feel like I've just known you forever. I said, yeah, you know, I feel the same way. There's a reason for that. There's a reason we feel that way about one another. Because He set His affections on you and He set His affections on me. We had that unity in common. We're both dearly loved by Him. I don't know. Children sometimes ask funny questions. My kids used to ask me, and still do. I mean, they're, they're... approaching 40 years old and some of them still ask this of Leonide which one of us is your favorite? I'm your favorite, aren't I? I love them differently for who they are differently but they're all mine and guess what? if you dishonor one of them you've dishonored me You see, you can't dishonor the image bearer and think that you honor the Father. You cannot dishonor the one who bears his image and think that you honor him. When we dishonor one another, the world sees the dishonoring of God. But when we honor one another and we unify with one another, then the world sees people who honor their God because they're unified in Him. It changes the way I see you. It changes the way I see the church. The church is no longer individually at a certain address. The church is much larger we must understand here at East Glenville that we are as much a part of the church that's one mile from here as they are of us, and that we have a common mission, and that the church in China is the same church that's here at Saratoga Road. And we must understand that we're one and that we're family, and that the church in Bulgaria must understand that it's still connected to the church in East Glenville. And that the church in Florida is connected to the church in upstate New York. And the church in upstate New York is connected to the church in Tennessee, which is connected to the church in California. Because the church is not a local address. The church is a celestial being. The church is not a body of common people. The church is the organic and living body of Jesus Christ. You see, it changes the way we see each other and the way we see church. And if Jesus is the king and the head of the church, it means I'm not. And he will advance his body as the head of the church. The last thing, it changes the way I see the world. It changes my whole world view. It teaches me not to be a short term thinker but a long term visionary. It teaches me not to be caught so much in my circumstances as being caught in knowing that I'm on a journey towards home. And that every day of my journey towards home is a day of opportunity to show the world Jesus Christ. And that I want to find other people who are rowing in the same direction. And that the church would plod along, stroke by stroke, row by row, together, moving across the lake of the earth, unto the shores of Galilee, to where there's an empty cross with an empty tomb. That together the people in the boat would say, Hallelujah, our King reigns. We would not expire from fatigue because the love of Jesus Christ would feed us. We would not grow weary from doing the good works because the Spirit of God lives within us. We would not become distracted with fear because we know that we are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. We would not be deluded from the mission that we have to go and disciple others, baptizing them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We would not be caught up with office politics. But we would be caught up with celestial purpose. We would realize it is God who promotes. It is God who demotes. It is God who moves. It is God who stays. It is God who directs. It is God who keeps back the seas. And that it's in that God that we trust all things. And that he holds all things together. And it is in that, God, we find the freedom to no longer look to men and women to be our sufficiency. But we know that our sufficiency is given to us in Jesus Christ. Because he loves us the same way that he loves the Father. And the Father loves us the same way that he loves the Son. I heard this story the other day. It reminded me of Jesus true story 1987 there was a plane crash Northwestern airline plane crash everyone died on it with the exception of one little girl eight years old her name was Maddie when they first found Maddie they thought she was probably in one of the cars that the jet had crashed into on the Hawaii highway because how could anyone survive that crash because everyone else had perished when they looked at the flight manifest though they found her name she actually was on that flight. As the NTSB came in and started discovering what had happened, here's what they discovered her mother had unbuckled her seatbelt in the midst of the crash and got herself in between Maddie and the front seat and held her to her chest and took the blow of every blow that that plane would feel. And Maddie survived because her mother took all the hits. Her mother took the burns. Her mother had all the scars. And her mother died for her so that she might live. You see, this is the love of Christ for you. That He came off His throne in heaven. That He would come and shelter you in His arms and hold you. So much so that you are one with Him. That there's no distinguishing. So close that the Father loves you the same way that He loved the Son. And he took the punishing bruise of a devastating crash called sin. So that you might live. But that you might live with a purpose. Not just live, but to live with a purpose. And that purpose is this. That you would find other survivors. You would unite together. So enthralled that your God would protect you. He would hold you. He would take the blows for you. That you would want to show the rest of the world that unity. That they may know that the Father sent him to be your protector. And the way that we are unified is in the same way that we evangelize. And the way that we are disunified is the way we refuse to testify. Let's pray.